I was thinking about this the other day. Um, the last time I actually got to stand up here and teach God's word, I was actually right over here. And I was about 17 years old during a youth service that our church would do on the evening service. They would let the youth group kind of take over and run the service every so often. And I got to teach right over here. And it was kind of a interesting thought for me of thinking back all of those years at 17, it was like pulling teeth to get me just to come up here and to talk for like 20 minutes. And I will say I'll do my best to try to keep it short, but I've been under a pastor from Ethiopia. So if we go for an hour, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. But it was just neat to think about, think back on what God has done in my life. And with Thanksgiving coming just next week, that is a part of it. Looking back and being thankful for what God has done not just throughout this year, but throughout your life, looking back. But I don't want to just focus on looking back and being thankful. I want to look forward. I want to look forward at the future you. Now, not just future you as individuals, but the future you as a church. You've got a lot going on right now. You're in the process of searching for a pastor. And there is change that's going to come about because this, when this pastor comes, God's going to use him to help focus the ministry and what this church will do for God. He's going to bring him in to help focus that. But I want to ask you guys a question. What are you doing now for God? Are you just waiting for that guy to come to give you that direction? Or are there things that God is already doing that you get to see how good God is, that you are experiencing him? And as you can see, the title of this is Taste and See. But as we look forward, we look back and we can see that God, we can taste and see how good God is. This comes from the psalm. Um, 34, 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that idea of taste, when you look at that, I, I looked this up this morning that it, it kind of jumped out at me a little bit. It's an imperative. That idea of taste, it's a command to taste and see that God is good. It's a current thing. Not only can we look back and see that God is good, but it's a current everyday thing. Are we tasting and seeing that God is good? Well, how then, thinking about how God, how we're supposed to taste and see that God is good, and thinking about how that applies to us today, that really comes down to the choices that we make. What are you choosing to do today where you get to experience how good God is now? I found a quote that really encapsulates this idea of tasting and seeing, but also making those choices where you get to experience that because it also ties into what I was talking about, looking towards the future. It's from Sean Patrick Flannery, and he said, do something today that your future self will thank you for. What choices are you making today that your future self will thank you for. We can probably think of a lot of things just 
from the world's perspective of choices that we can make that our future self would be like, yeah, I'm glad I did that. Guys, you need to look at your spouse here right now so you can earn some brownie points, okay? Best choice you ever made, right? <laughs> but also, if you think about it, from the, the picture of our faith, we do have choices that we make each and every day to whether we follow God and what he would have us do or whether we don't. We have those choices each and every day. So let me put it this way. What choices are you making today that your future spiritual self will thank you for? Well, let's dive into that idea of what are some things we can do that our future self is going to thank us for. And it's this, how can we taste and see how good God is each and every day? How can we taste and see that? Well, the best way and one of the ways that I know of to do that is to taste and see in ministry so that we know what Jesus knew. That's one of the insights that I want to share with you today is how can we do that? How do we see to know what Jesus knew? How can we taste and see that? So if you look in John, which is our main text that we'll be in today, if you go to John 13 and verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to to God. I want to stop right there for a second and just unpack that part right there. Because there's three things just in that one verse where we can see a lot of what Jesus knew before he left this world. There were three aspects of it that he, knowing that he had come from God, was going back to God, and he had that God had given all authority over to him. Those are three things I want to talk about a little bit before we move on. Let's start with that he was going back to God. Okay, this is a, if you've been in church for a number of time, we know this, that God, that Jesus, before he went back, accomplished a ministry that God had given him. He had given him a purpose to come here, but he accomplished that and then he went back. He's with God. He is with him today, amen? But think about it. How often do we let that pour out of us in our life, that security that we have knowing that our Savior, our Lord is in heaven alive today and is with the Father? Does that impact us? Does that pour out of us to show the world that we do have a God, a Savior who is alive. It brings some security knowing that he is. Knowing that he is alive. <clears throat> it, and it should empower us to be able to go out, to be able to have those conversations with people, to be able to talk to them about why we're different, about who our God is and how he has changed us. It should ooze out of us, and it comes partly from that fact that we know that Jesus is alive with God. If you think about it, let me ask you this. When you look back at your life, do you ever regret believing and receiving Christ as your Savior? Is that a choice that you regret ever doing? 
then why do we live life like we do regret it? Like it doesn't matter. Why do we live that way? Because if we, if that is the best decision we have ever made, why is it not coming out of us like it is? I look at, at scripture and I, I look at Paul and I see how Paul, it, it oozes out of him that he is so excited that he loves God and loves Christ so much that as he says in Philippians 124, that he is hard pressed between two decisions, whether to stay here and have faithful service to the people here on earth or go back to God. He can't pick. And part of me thinks that Paul got this idea that, yes, it's exciting that Jesus is back with God and that one day I'm going to get to go there, but I also get to serve him here. And it's exciting to me. And when you think about somebody who grabs this idea, what can be done to a person like that? Who, who is so excited, so, as we would say, on fire for God, that whether you kill them, they're okay with it, or whether you let them here, and even if you make their life miserable, they're still okay with it because they get to suffer like Christ did while he was on earth, and they get to serve him. What can be done to people who are like that? You can't do anything because their joy, their focus is on a different destination, a different place. And that's the main point of that going back to God is our destination has changed. If we are children of God, our destination has changed. We will get to go be with him one day if we truly have believed and received Jesus as our Savior. We will get to be with him one day. Christ knew this. Christ knew he was going back. After he accomplished what God had for him, he was going to go back. And he also knew he's coming back. The second part of that, and I hear this is some of what Tom has been going over, is, is John and the Great Commission, but he also has shared this verse as well, that all things has been given into his hands. All things. He is in control. How many times have you heard that in, this, in your walk when you come to church or with other believers, that God is in control. He is in control of everything. Isn't that kind of comforting to know too? Even when the hard things happen, where we kind of tend to forget sometimes that God's in control, doesn't that bring a little bit of comfort to know that even in that, God still is in control? He is. He is in control of everything. And yet, just like with what I was talking about before, when he said he was going back to God, how that impacts us, does even that statement that God is in control, does that come out of us? Do we live our life in a way that demonstrates that we believe that? Or do we get sidetracked and taken out by the littlest thing and doubt? Lastly, that he had come from God. When Jesus was on earth, like I said before, he was here for a purpose. God sent him here to fulfill a purpose that he had for him. He had a ministry that he was to do, and he fulfilled that purpose. Amen? <laughs> Aren't we glad that Jesus fulfilled that ministry that God had sent him here to do? 
And we are grateful for that. And if we claim the name of Jesus and we believe in him and our God's children, we are sent from him too. We are his ambassadors, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We are his ambassadors here on earth. So God has sent us to the place we are to fulfill a ministry for him. Now, I know when you get this idea of called, this is when a lot of uh, excuses can fly. A lot of reasons come up that, hold on, Chris, I'm not called to come up and stand up here and, you know, talk to people or, or, you know, yeah, kids, I'm not really uh, <laughs> fond of working with kids. But we also can come out with, well, I'm, I'm not called to do this. I'm not called to share. And I found another quote from the man who started the Salvation Army, William Booth. And this is what he said to those who say they're not called. This is what he said. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonizing heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. We are all called. If you claim to be a child of God, you are called. And he has gifted you to serve and minister for him. Now, like I said earlier, some might not, when you think of coming up here and standing and teaching and sharing, it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I will say I used to be the same way until I tried it, until I started to taste and see what God can do. So let me ask you this, when, when a time to serve God comes up, do you not want to do it because it makes you uncomfortable or because you know that you can't do it just on your own strength? Because most of the time when it comes to things God's going to want you to do, they're going to be uncomfortable. Just think about even telling someone about Jesus, about who God is. And it doesn't have to be like a full layout of the gospel, just talking to them about the things of God. How many of you, does that make you really nervous to think about, well, what if they ask this question or this question or this question? Most of the time, we don't want to step out and taste those things because we're afraid or we're uncomfortable. Yet, this is one of the best ways that I know of to experience that in the moment, in the day, to see how good God is. Because most of the time when you take that step, when you follow what God has asked you to do in that moment, 
Anybody here ever regret doing a decision like that for God? No. <laughs> it speaks to, the, to that part of us that God, when we become his children, changes us to it. It encourages our spirit. It encourages us. It wires us up. It gets us excited. Yet how do we know what God would have us do if we're not willing to try, to see if that is it? to serve him. Because if your heart, when you get asked to do it, is to serve God, even if it's a bad taste, per se, if you go in, say you get asked to fill in for the kids ministry, and you're like, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm going to be good at it, but God, you're asking me to fill in, I'm going to do it. And you come in and it's like, wow, I actually kind of had fun. That was, that was enjoyable. Right, dad? <laughs> that was fun. Well, maybe that's how God has wired you to serve. Yet, if you don't take that step to try it, you won't know. He's given you gifts. He's given you some strengths that you can use in that ministry. But there's also parts where, okay, God, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to trust you to help me. So we get to see in many ways We get to taste and see through ministry and experience things that Jesus knew. Think about it. What is the biggest portion of Jesus's life that we get to see in scripture? His ministry here on earth. So if we are to become more like Christ, why then does ministry scare us? Why do we push back against serving? Why do we not want to get involved? Well, That's the second point or the second insight that I want to talk about is that our flesh most often tries to get in the way of us getting to taste and see what God has and that he is good. It is our flesh and we shouldn't underestimate its power. And as I thought through how I can bring out this point, I thought about a movie. Any John Wayne fans in here? Okay, for those of you who aren't, I'm going to lay it out for you so you kind of get the idea of the scene, okay? So in the movie El Dorado, okay, John Wayne, he's a gun hand. In the beginning of the movie, he was shot and he has a bullet that's pressing against his spine that he loses all functionality in his gun hand. So he's basically useless. He can't draw his gun. Yet by the end of the movie, his friend, who's the sheriff, is a drunk, he got, you know, typical Western movie, met a girl, she broke his heart, and now he's just this drunk. But there's a family that's in need. There's another group, the bad guys, who are trying to take away their land. So they have kidnapped one of this family's kids. And it's up to John Wayne, who can't use his gun hand, this drunken sheriff, a kid who can't shoot for nothing, and an old Indian fighter. That's the good guys. Basically, it's an impossible odd because the bad guys have all the numbers. They have another fast gun hand there. But in true John Wayne fashion, they're going to try. So they come up with a plan. So John Wayne rolls up in a wagon. He's got a rifle hidden next to him because that's all he can use. And he starts talking to the gun hand to distract him. And then the fight ensues. John Wayne falls off the wagon. He takes out the gun hand first and they save the day. Well, the gun hand, as he is laying there, 
you know, dying from his gunshot, John Wayne comes over and they're talking. And the gun hand looks up at John Wayne and says, you didn't give me a chance, did you? Well, John Wayne looks back at him and says, you were too good to give a chance. And when I heard that line, that, that spoke to what I'm trying, when we think about our flesh, we need to have that same mindset. Our flesh is too good to give a chance to because it is so good at getting us away from what God wants us to, to distract us, to deter us, to get in the way that if we really want to follow after God and taste and see him each and every day, we can't give our flesh the chance to distract us. So how then can we look and see? Because to know that our flesh is too good, we got to understand our flesh a little bit. And it was interesting as I thought about that idea of how our flesh is too good to give a chance. Romans 13 tells us to make no provision for it. But when I was looking at John and the interaction between Peter and Jesus, you see a lot of what our flesh responds to the things of God. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of John here, because it's interesting to see this interaction, this account from this perspective, when you see what our flesh tends to do with the things of God. So let's look at this. In John, again, three, we're going to go from there. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, many of you know this, this, this story. This is where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. He's showing them the example of what it means to be a servant. But it's interesting to hear this interaction because it would almost be like if I were to start doing this, you know, I'd start washing people's feet and I'd go, you know, and I work my way down and I get to Ozzy and Ozzy looks at me and goes, uh, are you going to wash my feet? And I've washed all the people up to him. <laughs> As my father often says, well, duh. <laughs> right? Think about it. Peter has seen Jesus wash all the other's disciples' feet, and he gets to him, and he asks him that question. Are you going to wash mine? Uh, yeah, probably, you know, <laughs> it's one of those duh moments. And when you think about it from the idea of when God is doing something, don't we often ask those obvious questions too? Like, uh, God, are, are you really doing that? Duh, <laughs> you know, but our flesh oftentimes will try to keep us from seeing the obvious of what God is doing. It gets in the way. It doesn't want you to see the obvious. It wants you to ask that dumb question like, okay, God, are you really doing that? When everybody else around you might be looking like, dude, it's right there. 
Why aren't you going? Why aren't you doing it? But it keeps us from seeing the obvious. It doesn't want the things of God, so it's going to do what it can to prevent it. And one of it is it keeps you from seeing it, seeing the obvious of what God is doing. And it's almost interesting when you look at it from this way. Peter asks this question, and it's almost like Jesus then responds to Peter in a way that he's anticipating what the flesh is going to do next. It says, after Peter asked this question in verse 7, Jesus said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. Afterwards, when we get to see what God does, we understand then the purpose. We look back and we see that, oh, that's what he was doing. But usually in the moment, we tend not to see those things, right? But most often what our flesh then wants us to do before we dive in is it wants us to understand everything about it. When it comes to the things of God, he, our flesh wants us to know every little detail. What's it going to do? How's it going to impact me? Am I going to get made fun of? Am I going to get ridiculed or teased or whatever? It makes you get hung up on trying to know every single little detail that it keeps you from taking action. It wants you to understand everything. Now, I'm not saying that understanding things about when God asks you to do something is not important. Scripture makes it clear that we are to count the cost of things. But does it, do you spend so much time counting the cost that it keeps you from taking action? Because let me put it in, a, in this way. If you know, understand every single little detail of what God's asking it, you to do, do you then have to trust him to do it? Or can you just trust yourself to be able to do it? and the power that you can do in your own strength. Jesus almost cuts Peter off at the pass there by saying, you're not going to understand it now, but you're going to understand it later. Because who knows if he hadn't have said that, the interaction that could have followed. <laughs> who knows? But we get to see Jesus kind of tell Peter that you're going to get it later. You're going to understand this. Just listen. Just let me do this. Well, Peter, when Jesus finished this, you're not going to understand it now, but you will later. Peter then fires back. You're never going to wash my feet. You see kind of the theme here of what happens even in our flesh when it comes to the things of God. We first might not see it. We then will get frozen by trying to understand it. And then if God gets through all of that, we then our flesh will then say, yeah, no, not going to do it. God, I'm not, uh-uh. Anybody here ever said, no, God, I ain't going to do something? <laughs> How well does that usually work out? <laughs> God will get it done. He will work. But oftentimes, it's our flesh getting in the way. It's that idea of, I want to be comfortable. God will never ask me to do something that I am not comfortable with, which is not true. Because most often when God asks you to do the thing that you're most uncomfortable with, he is going to get the most glory because he has to do all of the work. If you can depend on your own strength to do something for God, is God working in you? that moment. Most often when it comes to you having to 
truly trust God, like, God, I can't do this without you. Those are the coolest times to watch him work. When you're not prepared, when like, when we, somebody who's going to speak, if you feel you're not prepared, you're like, "Ah, I could do more. But then you get up and you watch God use what you've done in preparing, but he takes it and he uses it. It's the coolest thing to watch God work when you have to trust him more than yourself. Yet most oftentimes our flesh in some way, shape, or form will try to get us to say no, no to God. And again, we almost watch Jesus's interaction with him as he says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. He answered, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. It's like, I'm asking you to do this. And if you're not going to do it, you don't get to be with me. You don't get to experience that. And it almost then sets up our next response that our flesh does. When Jesus responded to him in that way, Simon Peter then comes back and says, Lord, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me. Think about it. If we say no to God and then he kind of fires back at us like, well, hang on, I want you to do this. Then don't we, our flesh sometimes go, oh, I'm sorry, God, I didn't mean to say no. I'm going to do all of this to make up for it. You know, wash all of me. (laughs) That hit close to home for anybody. Think about it. We get caught up, we get caught, or we said no here, and now there's that guilt that, ah, I should have done, oh, man. Well, God, I'm going to do all of this for you instead to make up for that time I told you no. Sometimes that's our flesh trying to get us to not think about following what God, even dealing with that guilt in a godly way of, I'm sorry I disobeyed you. I'm going to follow what you asked me to do now. Sometimes it's still in trying to get you not to do the thing God wanted you to do will distract you and point you to all of these other things to say it'll make up for that. It's interesting to try to think of it in that way that even though, look at it when we think of it from this perspective of trying to live our life in that way of if we know that God asked to do that and we sinned, we didn't go the way he wanted us to. And we realize that and we ask for forgiveness. Do we still feel that guilt or that try to make up for that too? Yet, aren't we forgiven? And if we are, and we know we are, we should go after the thing God asks us to do. And again, when you look at this text, it's interesting because it's almost like Jesus then responds again to cut his flesh off at the pass. And it says, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Think about it. He responds to Peter of, you don't need to have everything washed. If you are truly clean, all you need to do is wash that feet. Give that forgiveness and move on. You're clean. But then he brings out an interesting point here too. He says, not all of you are clean. 
Now we know that when he says this, Judas is in the room and we know what Judas was planning to do. And it's in that aspect, thinking of Judas, that we get to see that last thing that our flesh will do to us when it comes to tasting and seeing what God can have us do through him. It gets us to ignore the sin in our life. Jesus says that, you know, if you are clean, if you have been cleaned, you don't need to be washed all over. You just need your feet. You need to be forgiven of that one thing or whatever it is. You are clean, yet not all of you are. There's that one here who is ignoring the issue that's going on. And in there are terms that get thrown around in Christianity about this, but when you think about it from Judas, he is going to portray Jesus. And it's almost wonder kind of that, that I wonder if this was going through his head. When Jesus said that, do you wonder if Judas may have stopped and wondered, does he know? Think about it. Have you ever been struggling with something and you walk into a room and you're listening to the conversations and you're just like, do they know what's going on? That God kind of working in you, that, that idea of, oh no, they know. And most often it's, it's God trying to get through to us, but then our flesh jumps up and says, yeah, they don't know. You're good. It's not hurting anybody. You're fine. And we get terms like in Christianity that get thrown around sometimes. I've heard this. We get those things that we call our pet sins. Those sins that are hard to get rid of, but we keep around because they're not hurting anybody. Nobody knows. Yet when you think about it, is all sin equal to God? Whether it's lying, looking at pornography, killing somebody, are they all different to God? Or are they all the same? So if sin is all the same to God, we can't have those pet sins. We can't have those sins that are hidden. And more often than not, when we get that little prick of, um, do they know? Oh no. It's God trying to get through to us to deal with it. Yet that's when again, the flesh jumps up and says, you're good. It gets you to try to ignore it not to deal with it because most because when we have sin in our life, there's a separation between us and God. That sin gets in the way and to do and to taste and see what God wants us to do, that has to be removed. That's why Romans and in other scriptures, it tells us not to live in the flesh or make no provision for the flesh. So how do we do that? How can we get those things out of the way, get our flesh out of the way so we can taste and see how God, good God is. Well, I'm going to give you all seven years of Bible college in one phrase. You guys ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. The way that we can get that out all the way and actually get to taste and see God is not to fight the flesh with the flesh. You're all speechless. I can see it. <laughs> it's another one of those, well, duh, right? Yet how often do we try to fight the flesh with the flesh? It never ends well. Some of us can, if we're struggling with something, if we're trying to deal with a sin in our life, we can go pretty good, right? Maybe you can go for a month without, without doing that one, that sin. You can go for a couple of weeks, but then you get pulled right back in. 
See, without God, without God working and taking that and giving it to him and trusting him in it, we can't get it out of the way ourselves. And most often our flesh tries to convince us to fight it with itself. Because in all things, who wins in that scenario? Romans tells us not to gratify its desires. And if you're fighting the flesh with the flesh, whose desires are getting gratified in that? The flesh's. Because <laughs> it's going to get what it wants in the end. But it's interesting when you look at it. Jesus was interacting with, with Peter in this, and it's, and it's just like what Paul brings out here in Romans. The way we fight it is we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have probably heard that statement a number of times in church. Put on the Lord Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus. And if you're like me, how? How do we do that? Well, one, if you think about it, taking those three aspects that we talked about from John 3 and putting those on to know what Jesus knew that he'd come from God, was going back to God, and that he has all authority. Just by grasping maybe one of those, that's putting on Christ, knowing that he is in control and letting that impact and pour out of your life. But another way, and one of the best ways that I see, and as I look at scripture, it's one of the things I see the most, is by putting it into action. A lot of churches around, especially the United States, Christianity is all about just reading your Bible, praying, and showing up on Sunday and Wednesday. Yet is that what the scriptures tell us is what our faith is all about? It's an everyday thing. It's not just those little pieces, those, those play a part, don't get me wrong, those play a part in our faith and help us to grow, but there is an action that takes place in our, in our faith. Our faith is not a sitting around doing nothing. It is an active faith. It takes action. It takes movement. It takes doing things. And in doing those things, it, it, it shows people, it shows the world how much it's impacted you, how important it is to you. Because depending on how you see it, how important it is, how it's impacted you, you're either going to be like Paul, who they're like, what the heck can we do to this guy? We've beaten him, we've stoned him, and he still comes back? Or are you just like them to where they're like, yeah, they're not saying anything. They're okay. We can leave them over there in their corner. They're going to be fine. They're not going to impact us at all. Because think about it. When If our life is to be like Christ, if he is to be living his life through us as new creations, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, as a new creation, and if we are to be putting on Christ, becoming more like him, we need to understand that God has given us a ministry. God has given us a, a task. Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation, of making people right with God. He has given us a portion of that. He also, in Thessalonians, Thessalonians, it says that we have been given or entrusted with the gospel. God has given each and every one of you who profess to be a child of him, and this is also maybe a good 
measuring point, that fruit that we see is if we are truly changed and new believers or new creations and we profess the name, does that come out of us? Does that, do we see those things? Because if we are given a part of that ministry, that means we're to do it. Christ commanded us to do that. He's entrusted it to us. And we are to be almost like the managers of Christ's estate. He gave us the command to go, to take all to the gospel, to every creature, to all creation, making disciples. So if that's what we're called to do, he's entrusted us to do it. We need to then step out and do it. Now that can be scary. Some of you might be thinking, I don't know what my part to play that is. I would say start one, seek God in prayer. Draw closer to him through study, through time with other believers, but then try something. Try it. Serve him. Go into it. God, I want to give you the glory in this. I see a need. I'm going to try to meet it. God, you want me to serve. I will serve. And when you take it from that perspective, when you think about it from that way, how then does that impact the future you? by having that as your heart attitude. Will your actions that you take, will the choices and decisions you make, how will those shape you for the future? Think about it from this way. Ever believer, we want to hear well done at the end, right? When we see Christ face to face, we want to hear well done. At least I hope that's what you want to hear when we reach the end. Yet, if we want to hear well done, but we're not doing anything with what God has given us, will we hear it? Will we hear well done if all you've done is sit and do nothing with what God has given you? Or will we stand there and watch the works that get tested during the Bema seat of judgment, get tested and burned up, and we have nothing to give to God? from the works that we did. We have something to give to people. Now, it might not be you standing up in a place like this and telling hundreds of people, there might only be one or two that you get to talk to. But are you faithful? Are you doing? Are you taking what Jesus has given you to the world that he has you in, to the place he has you? Are you trusting him to do it through you? Because think about it, if God, because he commanded us to go, do you think he hasn't given you the tools you need to accomplish what he's asked you to do? He has, but there also takes a little bit of trust, a little bit of faith. And the cool part is, is even in that, he's given you a helper that is with you, as it says in Hebrews, that he will never leave you and that he is your helper. So he has given you everything you need to accomplish the ministry that he has left for you to fulfill so that you can taste and see how good he is. Because he is with you, he is going to help you if you are seeking him. But again, our flesh gets in the way. So we have a choice to make here. Are we going to underestimate our flesh and keep underestimating it? So it gets in the way so we can't see, taste and see how good God can be? Or 
are we going to start taking action? And it doesn't have to be these big, grandiose steps. I heard this from a study we did on Wednesday talking about um, doing the things of God. Most often when we get challenged, when we get um, convicted by something, we want to go all the way to the seminary level. We're going to knock everything out. We're going to get rid of it. And we're going to try. And every time we will flunk out of the seminary level, we need to start where we are. Maybe we're in kindergarten and we just need to take a very small, simple step of, you know what? I've never asked God what he wants me to do. So I'm just going to ask him right now. I'm going to take that little step. So what choice will you make? That's what I want to leave with you today. What choice will you make? So in this time, I want everybody just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I will pray here in a moment, but I want you guys to take a minute. Take a moment before God and talk to him about this. Maybe as I was talking, something was coming to your mind that God, you know what? I've been telling you no on this. I want to stop right now. I want to say, yes, God, I know it's going to scare me. I know it's not going to be comfortable, but God, you know what? I want to do this for you. Maybe it's something like that. Ultimately, though, you have to first taste and see who God is. And that only comes by a relationship with him. Maybe you don't know Christ as your savior. Maybe you haven't truly given your life over to him. That can happen at any time. You, that is between you and God. If you want to know more about that, there are, pro, there are men here, there are people here that would love to share with that with you. I would be happy to talk with you as well if you want to know more about what that means. But that's something that only you can deal with with God. I can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your friend coming to church alone can't save you. Only by a relationship with Christ and believing and receiving him as your savior can that be done. Maybe that's it. But just spend a few moments thinking about what God would have you do to taste and see how good he is. Because no matter what it is, whether it's serving him or coming to know him, those both are amazing and we get to see how good he is because he is gracious and merciful in that way. So take a few moments. Father God, I do thank you that one, you are a God of grace and mercy that we can come to you even when our flesh wins and we can ask you for forgiveness. That it said, as you say in your word, that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I thank you that we can come to you. We can tell you these things. We can confess and God that you can, we can taste and see just in that how good you are. But God, as we look to the future, as we look to what you would have each of us do for you, God, I thank you that you do use broken people like us. Out of all the ways you could have chosen, you use us. So God, I pray that you would help us to make no provision for that, for our flesh. God, especially, I ask this for my life as well. Help me not to live in those fears, in those those things that get in the way of truly letting you work. 
God, help me to do that more and more each day. Help me to trust you and grow in my relationship with you. I pray that for all the people here as well. God, help them to know you and your son more and more, to become like them so that the world then gets a small taste of you through us. Help us to be that light, that taste, that fragrance for you in the places that we live. God, I thank you for your word in this time. In your son's name, amen.